So uh, I, I don't tell jokes in, uh, when I preach because I'm not a good joke teller, but I'm going to refer to one that everybody's heard. It goes like this. Um, I, anytime my spouse and I have an argument, I always get the last word. Yes, dear, right? There it is. And the funny thing about that is every married couple who's been married for any length of time at all gets that, that, that there are times where you just, you know, at the end of the argument, you just say, yes, dear. Marilyn and I, uh, years ago, went to a marriage enrichment weekend, and uh, I remember one of the speakers saying, one of the best things you can do for your marriage is lose an argument. Right? It's the same idea. Uh, my uncle, who was a family therapist, put it this way. He said, Jeff, sometimes when I have a couple in my office that are in conflict, I ask this question. Do you want to be married or right? Do you want to be married or do you want to be right? So kind of at, at the core of all of this is this idea that I want to share with you this morning. And the idea is this, it's better to be loving than right. It's better to be loving than right. So we're at the end of this five-week series that we've been uh, talking about calling uh, Getting Along. It's based on five principles of community that uh, I've shared with you over these weeks that Randy Peterson and I put together um, that really are kind of guideposts about who we are as a community and, uh, and help us understand you know, who we are and how we think about things, important things, and, and even times of conflict. So in this series, we've talked about unity, that unity was important to Jesus, it's important to us. We talked about culture, that while we pay attention to the culture, we don't follow the culture. We talked about scripture, that we believe that God still speaks to the world through the Bible. And we talked about essentials, those essential or core things, and said that in essentials we need to have unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. So this morning, the fifth one, is this idea of it's better to be loving than right. So as we were putting this together and this phrase emerged, we struggled with it. Is that really true? Because it sounds like it might have some problems. It sounds naive, first of all. You know, this idea that it's better to be loving than right, you know, so we're all just gonna hold hands and sing songs and say nice things to each other. Sounds kind of naive, weak, right? Silly, even. So we struggled with that. We struggled with, is this just a conflict avoidance idea, right? So we're, in effect, it sounds like we're saying, it doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter what you do, just as long as you're loving, right? Conflict avoidance. Or you could ask a question about you know, that sounds good, 
but what about? And you could have a thousand different whatabouts. Yeah, but what about this? What about that? What about this situation? What about that situation? And I, I won't even give you an illustration of those because there are thousands across uh, a whole variety of things that you could ask this question. Yeah, but what about? It's better to be loving and right, but what about? Right? So is this phrase really who we are? Is it grounded in who we are as a faith community? So for that, our guide is always Jesus, right? We are followers of Jesus. We are Christ's disciples. We are in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. And so is this idea, it's better to be loving than right, consistent with who Jesus is and what Jesus taught? And when we kind of got our heads wrapped around that, we thought, yeah, absolutely, it is. Jesus is God, right? The Bible says that God is love. Jesus is God incarnate, so Jesus is love. And so as you look at Jesus' life and ministry through the Gospels, what we see is love in action. This is what love looks like lived out in real life. And so as we look at Jesus' life, we see this radical love going on. Jesus cared more about people than about the law, it would seem. It's what drove the Pharisees crazy about Jesus. But was Jesus weak? Was Jesus a conflict avoider? Was Jesus ignoring the whatabouts of life? No. He lived into all of that and lived out this idea that it's better to be loving than right. One quick example um, from the Gospel of John, the story of a woman caught in adultery, right? And the religious leaders drag her to Jesus and throw her at his feet and say, this woman's been caught in adultery and the law says that she is to be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus replied to that, which has been repeated down through two millennia, was so profound. Jesus' reply to the crowd was, let the one without sin throw the rock. Let the one without sin throw the first rock. And one by one they drop their implements of death and walked away. They were right. The law did say that if you're caught in adultery, you should be executed by stoning. They were right. But Jesus chose another way. They were focused on the law, and Jesus was focused on people. Certainly focused on this woman, who he refused to judge, even though he, in all of the crowd, he was the one who could judge her, refused to judge her. 
but he was also looking at them and saying, look at your own heart. Look at your own life. If you can throw that stone because of your personal righteousness, then go ahead. Radical love of Jesus. He was focused on people. And I think Jesus recognized that while the law can change behavior, love can change a heart, can change a mind. Law focuses on behavior. You can force people to behave in certain ways, but it doesn't change their heart. And Jesus was in the heart change business. Remember, you know, what he talked about when he talked about the Ten Commandments. He said, you know, you've, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder, but I tell you, if you have cursed somebody, you've already broken that law. It's not about behavior, it's about a heart change. It's about a change of mind. And that's the power of radical love. Love changes a heart. Love can change a mind. And so that's why I think that this is right, that it's better to love than to be right. So, Paul wrestled with this idea himself, or not wrestled with it, he, he uh, talked about it uh, quite a bit, and actually, in the book of Romans, uh, addressed it significantly. Um, in the 13th chapter, the 14th chapter, the 15th chapter, he's, he's uh, dealing with this same kind of issue. So, by way of example, I wanna look with you at Romans chapter 13. Uh, a few verses uh, from there. This is what Paul wrote. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. What is it? Love does, not, love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This isn't passive. This isn't weak. This isn't, it doesn't matter what you believe or what you think or what you do. This gets to the core of the matter. Love changes things. It changes hearts. It changes minds in ways that the law never can. And as I was reflecting on the scripture myself, I was struck by the personal pronoun used here. It says this, 
owed nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. You, you. This isn't about what others do. This isn't about what others think. This isn't about what the church does or says or thinks. This is directed to you, to me. If you love others, you will be living in obedience to the requirements of the law. You love, radical love is a choice that we get to make or not make. But when we make that choice, we are choosing to fulfill the requirements of God's law. So it is better to be loving than right. When it's a radical kind of love, when it's a Christ-like kind of love, we sing a song here, it's become one of the popular songs, I think, in, our, in this church. Reckless love, we call it, it's called. The never-ending, reckless love of God. Chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. Oh, the never-ending, reckless love of God. It's that kind of pursuing life, that kind of um, desire for the best for others. It's sacrificial. Love, the kind of love that Christ shows is sacrificial. The word in the Greek is agape. You've probably heard this before that in the Greek language there's three words for love. There is eros, which is that kind of physical type of love. Romance. There is phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. It's that kind of friendship. And then there is agape. And the nature of agape love is that it is sacrificial. That you put the interests of others at least on par with your own interests or above your own interests. It's that kind of sacrificial love that we're being called to, this desire to see the best in others, to want the best for others, to believe the best in others. Because that's how Christ views me. This isn't hard, it's impossible. I mean, this is impossible to do this. Which is why we need the work of the Holy Spirit within us as we're putting our trust in Christ and the Spirit lives in us, transforming our lives, transforming our minds, transforming our hearts that grows our ability, our capacity to love as Christ loved. And to just do it on our own effort and our own attempts and so forth, we're gonna fall short every single time. 
but when it's real, when Christ is doing that work in us, we have this capacity for a radical kind of love that is more interested in people's transformed heart and mind than on just matters of behavior. We saw a powerful example of this, friends, um, recently. In fact, two weeks ago in a courtroom in Dallas, Texas. You probably have heard the story of a young, uh, not a, a police officer, a female police officer in Dallas. She walked into what she thought was her apartment. It was not. Um, she was confronted there by the occupant, the, the person whose apartment it was, both in Johns, and, and uh, she shot and killed uh, this black man in his own apartment. That was about a year ago. She was on trial and convicted of murder. And during the sentencing phase, Botham's brother got to testify. It was the impact statements of family members. And maybe you've seen some clips um, on the news, but at least what I saw on the news, the clip was, was about... Um, 20 seconds, and it was him asking if he could go hug this person. But I want you to hear what he said before all of that. So it's, a, it's about a three-minute clip of his testimony speaking to the murderer of his brother. So let's take a listen. say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the things, the bad things you may have done in the past, each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know, I can speak for myself, I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because 
I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. loving them right. Did you hear the things that he said to her? Hard things to say. You know, hard things to really say and to really mean to someone who's taken so much from you. Not just I forgive you, but I want the best for you. I don't wish any harm on you. And I want you to give all of this hurt and all of this um, things that you may have done wrong, I want you to give it all to Christ who will forgive you. And that that is to me what's possible through radical love. And only through radical love. And when you see it, right, it changes your heart, doesn't it? I mean, it just kind of takes your breath away. How can he say that? How can he do that? And there's a whole lot of people that think it was wrong. They think he was wrong to say that. They think that this officer should have gotten more time and, and greater punishment and so forth. The judge was so inspired by it that at the end of the proceedings, the judge went and gave her a hug as well and gave her a Bible. And the judge is now being criticized for that. Right? It's not right that she should do that. It's better be loving than right. So we're called into this radical kind of love. That isn't hard, it's impossible on our own. I've said this on lots of occasions and it's worth saying again. 
that the best definition you'll find of the nature of agape love, radical love, selfless love, is found in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, where he wrote about the nature of God's love that we're supposed to be striving for as well. And so I, I want us to read this passage together. It's, it's a little lengthy, but we're gonna read it together. So what, we'll give it a shot. I'll try it at this service. If it goes badly, I won't do it at second service because you, know, you guys are the practice round. Not really. Um, so I'm gonna read the, I'll read the first slide. The next slide that comes up, you read it and we'll go back and forth like that and see how this goes, all right? So this is 1 Corinthians 13. It's not about marriage. We read it at weddings a lot, but it's really not about that. It's really about the love within the Christian community. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will, will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompleteness will be canceled. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us. 
knowing him directly, just as he knows us. So in the series, I shared with you one of the discoveries for me in ministry, that it is very difficult to build a spiritually and relationally healthy church. And it's surprisingly easy to tear one apart. What it takes to build is each individual within a community of faith who is committed committed to Christ, to love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and committed to loving each other as yourself. And when a faith community commits to that, we can change the world. Not because of our own power, not because of our own ability, but because our world has been changed through the radical, reckless love of God. So let's stand for closing prayer. God, thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to give your life for us. That your sacrifice, motivated by love, knew no bounds. And that radical, reckless love is changing our lives. Thank you for examples like we saw lived out in a courtroom that spoke to us in a deep way of just how radical love can be. And we pray your blessing on that young man, on his family, on Amber Geiger, on all who are affected by that. And may the lessons learned there not be lost on us. God, I thank you for this community of faith. I thank you for the ways in which this community of faith expresses corporately our love for you, and our love for others. May that continue to grow and deepen in the year ahead. For I ask it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people agreed and said, have a great week, everybody.